The Exterminator. John James. Plain name, simple life. John introduced himself. Followed by, or you can call me JJ. I've no preference. He reached across the bar toward Maggie and gave her hand a friendly shake. Maggie immediately warmed to his disarming smile. Was it a trick of the light or were his eyes sparkling? On drugs more like, she thought to herself, shit. She might have to find someone else, but he'd come so highly recommended. She stepped from behind the bar to join him on the other side. Maggie was in her late fifties with spiky gray hair she kept long on the top and cut short on the sides and the back. The lines on her face aged her beyond her years, but the fact that she'd been a beauty in her youth was evident. Maggie and John were standing at the bar of Maggie's Red Dragon Pub, a popular hangout on Grimhex. The public space was a large rectangular room divided into distinct quadrants. The decor was a cheap, gaudy attempt at the Asian revival theme that had been popular two or more decades ago. Circular black and white rice paper chandeliers with missing panels hung from the ceiling. Scarred wooden dragons acted as vertical beams, the blood-red paint chipped and faded. A threadbare gold and purple lotus pattern carpet graced the floor. Maggie pointed to the areas as she described them. I've got just the one room here, as you can see. Pool table's there. She pointed to the back left corner. Card table's there, back right corner. Pointing to the front half of the room where they were standing, up here is all dining. John absentmindedly scratched at the three days of stubble on his chin as he listened. He didn't say anything, so Maggie shrugged and continued. Pointing to the door centered on the wall behind the bar, she said, Back there is the kitchen, my office, and restrooms. Just staff, he asked. Yeah, public restrooms, too much trouble. Kept finding empty vials, syringes, vagrants sleeping, couples fucking, you name it. John laughed. He could imagine that and worse. Hex customers aren't known for their manners, he said. Couple of drug busts in the men's room, last of it for me, walled it off from this side, renting it out as a commercial stall on the other. Got a young kid doing tats in that space. Name's Ronnie. Seems like a good kid. Pays on time. Customers welcome to eat, drink, and party here. Take care of their other needs elsewhere. I've walked through some of those elsewheres, he joked. No entrance on this side to the tap place? Nah, registered as a separate location. This work is only for here. Okay, cool. So, it's really just the one room. Kitchen looks secure, he said, pointing to the hand scanner on the door. That glass opening bulletproof? Yep, had that installed last year. So, this the kind of job you take? I know your bounty, but was told you take freelance stuff too. You came highly recommended, just wasn't sure this was your kind of thing. As was his custom, John diligently tapped notes into his Moby glass. He preferred the palm-sized translucent version. It fit easily into any pocket, pants or jacket. 
He especially liked that if necessary, the display could be enlarged into an interactive holographic image. Noticing that Maggie had stopped talking, he looked up. His smile was genuine and raised his cherub-like cheeks high on his face. Dark curly hair rested on his forehead, just above a bushy unibrow that arched gently over gray eyes. I do most any security work on contract if I can fit it in comfortably. If I can't, I'll refer you to someone, he said, continuing to tap in notes. No point stressing to squeeze it in. Looking up, he said, or stressing you if I can't get here when needed. His face back on his Moby. I like to keep it simple. Works best that way. Maggie nodded her head still uncertain if that meant he was taking the job or not. Okay. John James, plain name, simple life is my motto. Uh, sure, was all Maggie could think to say. He closed the Moby and gave Maggie his full attention. Looks like I can fit you in. Friday and Saturday from 10 p.m. until close, which is 2 a.m. Right. He walked away from Maggie to survey the space for himself. I'd like to install security cameras in each section. Maggie walked toward the card tables where John had wandered over to. How much does that cost? He chuckled. My expense, if we can agree, I can take emergency calls when the place is quiet. He saw her eyebrows arch and smiled. Only local emergencies. I discount for the time I'm out. He sauntered back to the front and leaned on the bar. Cameras are my eyes and ears. Also solid evidence if you insist on pressing charges. I prefer to work things out in other ways, but here you're the boss. Concern in her voice, she asked, you expect that to happen often? Being away during my shift? Never know. Just a precaution. This is side work for me, filler. Routing pirates and vagrants are my main meal ticket. I'm a senior security and bounty contractor for Hurston, Crusader, and Art Corp. I get first dibs around here, so that's my priority. If I don't take a gig, I lose it and eventually get bumped down the ladder for new work. His tone was light, his voice even. Maggie came to stand beside him. I don't know. I had trouble a few days ago, which is why I started asking around. She wrung her hands. It got pretty intense. I need those hours covered. Place is getting rowdy. Station's been seeing more traffic lately. Some looking for work or to shop, others for trouble. John reached out and took one of Maggie's hands in his. He patted it like they were old friends. I hear ya. Totally understand. Humming quietly to himself, he flipped open his Moby. Let me shoot you a couple names. Either one of these will do just as well. He returned to humming while he scrolled through his contacts. Neither are A-level because they'll have the same problem as me. Local cop work comes first. His head bobbed slightly to the tune that only he could hear. Oh, I hadn't realized... I just asked around about who's best. That'd be me, he said absentmindedly. Here you go, try. Maggie cut him off. Several said you're the best and actually a good guy. Everyone said that, good guy. 
I try, Maggie dear. I do try. I keep it simple. Live right, it'll be all right. That's my motto. Well, if you think it'll work, she still hesitated. I'm up for giving it a try. He looked up again and graced her with the full force of his penetrating gaze and smiled. Trust me, it'll be fine. Wouldn't steal you wrong. Do no harm is my motto. Maggie caught her breath. Well, damn, she thought to herself. His eyes actually do sparkle. To him, she said, send the contract and I'll authorize it. John pointed his Moby at Maggie and swiped his finger from it to her. There you go. Oh, sorry. Don't have a mobile one. We'll pick it off the one in the office. No worries. Can you start this week? He extended his hand and Maggie accepted it. Sure can. We'll install the cameras on my first shift. She hoped she wasn't blushing. He was too young for her. He wasn't even particularly handsome. But there's something about him, she decided inwardly. Pleasure doing business with you, Mags. Off to do my rounds. John slid his hands into his jacket pockets and sauntered toward the exit. Over his shoulder, he added, Don't hesitate if something comes up before then. You're one of John's now. I'll come as quick as I can. Maggie patted the sides of her hair and wiped gently at the edges of her eyes as if that could erase the heavy crow's feet nesting there. Okay, sure. Thanks. Her voice cracked on the last and John gave her a knowing smile. She turned away, her cheeks flaming. Now for the main event, John said to himself. He checked the work cue on his Moby to verify that the Habicube eviction request he'd received earlier was still active. It was. Maggie's pub was at the back of Hex D, one of the cleanest struts on the space station, a work request in Hex A, the worst. The quickest way there would be through the tunnels. The tunnels, as they were called by the locals, are a network of secure maintenance routes burrowed into the giant asteroid turned mining station housing exchange, now a self-governing powder keg. A handful of legit merchants had stayed after the Imperial Green mining operation pulled out. Having invested their life savings in establishing businesses here, they couldn't afford to pack up and run when the mines dried up and the criminal element began infiltrating the station, trying to secure a foothold in Stanton. Industrious opportunists stayed too. They'd squatted in available spaces, installed personal generators, and opened for business. Imperial retained control of the self-service Habicubes and continued to collect the revenue. But everything else on the station was an as-is situation. No maintenance, no repairs. When things stopped working on Grimhex, they stopped working forever. John whistled as he made his way to the closest maintenance tunnel. He unlocked the massive vault-like door with his access code. As the door retracted, he ducked his six-foot-four stocky frame through the opening. It was pitch black on the inside. He pulled out the flashlight he kept clipped to his belt. With no maintenance crews on the station, lighting in the tunnel was spotty. 
A good distance ahead, he could see a pinprick of yellow light flickering. He panned his flashlight around and forward to get his bearings. The jagged walls of the tunnel glistened with sweat. Rusted pipes overhead led the way forward. They hissed angry pockets of steam from cracked wounds. John started walking, his boots echoing his every footstep. Although it would be at a reduced payout, John hoped the occupants had voluntarily vacated by now. The request was two hours old. He'd get his 25% fee for swiping in at the location as evidence he checked it out. It would be easier on everyone if they were gone by now. He was getting hungry besides. Persuading vagrants to depart on their own was his preferred solution. Convincing would-be pirates to vacate the area with words or by force better than disabling, capturing, and hauling them planetside for processing. Every day flying free above the rock is a good day, was his motto. Seasonal supplies and the mandatory annual physical required by his contract were the only times John went planetside. He hated the crowds at the medical clinic. He fidgeted waiting in lines at the surplus warehouse where he bought non-perishable food supplies. He grunted trying to maneuver around other customers, picking through clothing haphazardly tossed into final sale bins. But the streets were the worst, especially on Artcorp. The teeming throngs of yakkers brushing by and bumping into him at every turn. It made his skin crawl to be scurrying among them on the anthill. John was almost at the other end now. He could see the door clearly from here. He pulled his Gemini L86 from the back waistband and checked the magazine. It was full. He reached down and grabbed a fresh magazine from the bottom right pocket of his cargo pants. He put away the flashlight. Just before stepping through the exit, he slid the pistol into his right jacket pocket and the fresh mag into his left. He emerged from the tunnel and waited until the door locked behind him. Strut A was quiet, fewer people than normal around. He wondered why, but kept it moving. He nodded to a group of guys decked out in grunge gear, hunched around a glass vial of red smoke. Red Alice, he mused to himself, a popular psychotropic drug that caused temporary paralysis when overdosed. Just beyond the group of men was the metal-graded staircase to the next level. John took the steps two at a time, then turned left into Strut A's shantytown, a dead end of the lowest-rate habicubes perfumed in eau de urine. With no merchants on this side, there was no one to complain or pay for security to keep the place civil. The cube he was looking for was second to last on the left. As he approached, he saw a bloody trail leading to the door. Drops of blood on the gray slab floor like breadcrumbs led the way. A bloody palm smeared on the door frame. He eased his pistol out of his pocket and moved into the shadows along the opposite wall. John slipped from shadow to shadow until he was across the aisle from Habicube A-19. To prevent the security system from locking them out of the room, the delinquent guests had placed a metal object at the base of the sliding door to keep it open. His pistol locked and loaded, he crossed to the other side, 
flattening himself against the wall to the left of the door. He heard an argument brewing inside. There were two distinct voices. The man's voice was agitated and traveled from side to side as if he was pacing. The woman's voice was hushed and nearer to the door. Her responses were clipped and defiant. The man. We need to find a ride out of this rat trap. That bitch is starting to smell. We need a plan before you get us both killed, the woman replied. Don't have much time. Room money's run out. Someone might be on the way, even in this dump. Need to get moving. Resolved, he said, yeah, let's get moving. Pass. I'd rather take my own chances. Suit yourself, he said. I'm better alone. You've been useless anyhow. She laughed at him with a hint of loathing. Too bad you can't fly a ship even if you manage to steal one, she said smugly. There is that. Guess that means you're coming with me. No, I'm not, she replied mutinously. That's not sounding friendly, John thought to himself. Sensing that the scene he was hearing play out was about to escalate, he leaned forward to peek through the door opening. The room was steeped in filth. Empty food and beverage containers littered the floor. The woman had her back facing the door. She was in a stained and perspiration-soaked halter top and jeans. Her brown hair was cut short and plastered to her scalp. The man was tall, lanky, bald-headed, and wore what looked like a prisoner's uniform. He was standing in the far right corner next to the bed inset into the wall. Blood-soaked sheets covered a lump on the bed. You wouldn't have made it this far without me. I'm calling the shots. The man raised a pistol toward the woman, handcuffs swinging from his wrist. John had a clean shot if he could quickly thrust his hand in the opening. He hesitated for a moment considering his options. As though the man's sixth sense of being watched had kicked in, he turned his head in John's direction and their eyes locked. The man pivoted his weapon in John's direction and leaped toward the door. Whether to close it or grab the woman as a shield, John couldn't know. What he did know was that he couldn't let this door close. John thrust his hand through the door opening while simultaneously dropping to the ground and began firing. The muzzle of the Gemini flared and smoked with each recoil. The woman who'd been standing fell to her knees screaming. Had she been hit? Couldn't worry about that now. John pulled back using the door as cover. Continuing to advance, the man screamed obscenities as he was hit. Not taking me, fuck you, you're gonna die. John kept firing. Inside the room, blood splatters rained like confetti. Inches away from him, the man's body finally fell forward, his skull hitting the slab floor with a sickening crack. John vaulted to a standing position. He pressed his shoulder through the door, forcing it to open while reloading his pistol. Station security, he said with authority. 
Training his pistol on the woman, he shouted, Don't move! Looking down at her, he doubted she'd move. She was in a ball, sobbing hysterically. When the woman calmed down enough to speak, John asked her her name. She didn't answer immediately. Leaning against the wall opposite her, he waited patiently for her to respond. Trying to regain her composure and pointedly looking away from the corpse on the floor, she said, Diane, Diane Shay. What happened here? This guy kidnap you? Diane's pupils were dilated, black orbs in a milky white sky. It never occurred to her to lie. Her voice was unsteady as she spoke. No, no, not really. She wiped at the mascara-stained tears leaving black tracks down her face. We were on a slave ship heading to Ken's. Incredulous, John replied, Wait, what? Nah, not legal in UEE space not even to transport. Going to have to sell me something else, sister. Tell me straight, and I'll be straight. That's my motto. I was in Yulin with, guess you'd call him my boyfriend. Guess I knew he was running a scam. He was taking bets on Sadaball. Things didn't work out. We ran a bill up at the hotel we were staying at, and he skipped out on it and me. Her voice trailed off. And? And what? He left me there sleeping. I couldn't pay it. No one to call to ask to pay it. She shrugged her shoulders. Sentenced to three months indentured service. She inhaled deeply and shook her head back and forth. Like that shit wasn't bad enough. The assholes transporting us decided they could get more for the women if they sold us on the black market instead of transporting us. The pain in her voice was too authentic to doubt. John eased up and prodded her gently to continue. Kins, huh? How'd you get here? Ronnie, she glanced at the corpse on the floor, then averted her eyes again. He hatched a plan to get us all out if someone could fly the ship. She paused, transfixed by the blood on her hands. Suddenly revolted, she began scrubbing her palms up and down on the front of her jeans. John's voice broke her out of her trance. And? And I can fly. A little. Enough to get us in the air, anyway. Autopilot somewhere safe. John grunted. Diane took it as disbelief. She briefly looked up at him. I'm a dropout of many things. One of those things being civilian flight training. Diane explained that when they realized the ship was stopping for fuel in Stanton, they'd hatched a plan to lure one of their captors into the female holding cell. Lara, an unlicensed prostitute who they'd snatched, volunteered to be the bait since she was dressed for the part. Things hadn't gone to plan. The guard was small, but put up a huge struggle 
after someone grabbed his key and let Ronnie out of his cell, he'd killed the guard. Things went from bad to worse after rushing the cockpit ended at a standoff. Hoi Shi was hit and died instantly. The pilot biolocked the controls while returning fire and quantum jumped to here. Diane's voice was steadier. We think he also called for backup. Ronnie said we needed to run and take our chances, so we did. He grabbed what he could on the way out, anything we might be able to sell quickly. Lara was hit. I found the med kit and a coat to throw over her to hide the injury. How many of you were there? John interrupted. Four. Me, Ronnie, Lara, and Hoishi. Diane cupped her face in her hands. No one was supposed to die. Just wanted to get out of there. John looked at the bloody bundle on the bed. That Lara? Yes. Ronnie sold what he grabbed to rent this room and get some food. I tried, did what I could, but I'm no medic. When we couldn't stop the bleeding, I gave her all the pain meds to stop her screaming. It was making Ronnie crazy. He started shouting and threatening to drag her off and dump her. A shudder ran through Diane from head to toe. I gave her all the pain meds in the kit and held her hand until she was quiet. You mean until she was dead? Yes, until she was dead. Diane's legs were starting to cramp. She stood cautiously, raising her hands up when she saw John put his hand on the pistol, protruding from his waistband. Oh, what happens now? There are dead people here. Someone has to answer for that. The ship you arrived on could still be here. More dead bodies. He shook his head in disgust. When you're looking for trouble, you find it, I always say. John looked Diane up and down, seeing if she had any pockets. You armed? No. Never had a weapon. Was lookout in the cargo hold. I saw what happened in the cockpit on the remote camera. Pleading in her voice, she said, I just want to go home. Can't you just let me go? They were going to... Bile rose in her throat. She clamped both hands over her mouth and swallowed it back down. Wrapping her arms around herself, she said, It's not right what they were going to do. No, it's not right. Fucking scum, he spat. Delinquent checkout for this room was logged for a security check. There are bodies here that have to be accounted for. Do they? Do they what? John asked. Have to be accounted for. John rounded on her. You were looking for trouble and found it. Don't you think Lara's family deserves to know she's dead? What about this Hoishi person? I don't know what Ronnie's story was, but he might have someone who'd like to know the same. He was a drifter and a thief. This was his third stint doing time, he said. Got no tears for him. Deflated, she exhaled a sigh that completely emptied her lungs. 
Look, under the circumstances, you'll probably be set free after the investigation. After this, kind of scared to take my chances, know what I mean? John knew exactly what she meant. Everything would be hearsay about who'd done what. A lawyer friend once told him that if there's a body, there's a trial. People feel safer if someone's feet are held to the flame when there's a corpse. In this case, though, the ship logs could validate the story of being picked up in Yulin and a destination being set for Kins that was later altered, diverting them to Stanton. But the deaths within Stanton jurisdiction, they'd want someone's hide for those. Right or wrong, examples were often made to make the next person think twice. I feel for you, kid. Games turned to this. He flipped open his Moby glass and set the status of the eviction request to complete it. He'd finish the official report later. For now, he wanted to prevent anyone else from being assigned to the case since he was already on site. John turned his thoughts to the unpleasantness ahead. He'd have to secure the prisoner and take her planet side for processing. Turning to Diane, he said, I'm going to have to cuff you. He saw panic in her eyes. I am not going to hurt you. Don't do this, she pleaded. It's not right. Not my fault, she said, her voice rising. Fuck those guys. If we hadn't stopped them, they were going to sell us. You're right. Absolutely right. But it's not my job to make those judgments. He said this moving forward cautiously. Live right, it'll be all right. Just doing my part of the job. Local authorities will do the rest. Diane dropped her head and her shoulders sagged, resigned to her fate. When John was in front of her and about to ask her to turn around so he could cuff her, a thought occurred to him. Where was he taking her? Grim Hex was in the Crusader vicinity, but not managed or policed by that corporation. His official contract on Grim Hex was to evict delinquent guests and prevent damage to the functional habicubes. This situation no longer fits that scenario. Diane was certainly willing to leave, and wasn't that his first course of action? Mutually beneficial agreement to vacate? He couldn't imagine the ream of paperwork associated with reporting this situation. Damn, he'd be planet side for hours, and that's after figuring out where to even take her. He reached to pull handcuffs out of his back pocket, but paused mid-action. Can you get out of here if I let you go? What? Diane looked up in confusion. If I cut you loose, can you get off this station? Anyone you can call for transport? Diane brought a hand up to her mouth, thinking her eyes darted back and forth. Finally, she said, no, not really. Dejection in her voice. Shit. Exasperated, John said, can't leave you here. We'll end up in more trouble or worse. Grasping at straws, Diane offered, I can find work real quick or work for a seat on a ship out of here. 
This isn't that kind of station. Little to no work here, but lots of trouble. It's only a few steps away from anarchy. Oh, should have guessed. Little we saw, this place is a dump. An idea occurred to her, a small ray of hope. Could you maybe help me? I find a way to pay you back, I swear. Not really my thing. I like to keep things simple. Don't ask for favors, don't do them. Keeps everything on a level playing field. Oh, I see. Well then, just let me go. I'm not your problem. John considered this option. He wondered how he'd feel if the next he heard of her she was a corpse on Grimhex, or worse. He did believe there were things worse than death out in the cold black of space. Even if you can find work here, you can't earn enough for a place to stay while saving to get out of here. He didn't mean to direct it at her, but there was a bit of agitation in his voice. This was becoming the opposite of keeping it simple, and he had other work requests to process. That's not your problem. You think I was headed to a luxury hotel? Sleeping in a stairwell is better than that. Diane flinched when John suddenly took two strides and was suddenly next to her. When she realized that she wasn't his target, she moved out of his way. John entered his authorization code into the keypad on the door. A small panel slid open, revealing an LCD display. He accessed the room's status sheet and set the occupancy rating to non-functional. Cause, safety hazard, air purification unit irregularities. Access permissions, security and maintenance only. He closed the panel and turned to Diane. I've set the room to inoperable until it's been repaired. I'll call the local search and rescue authority to collect the bodies. After that, you can stay here while you're working on getting off the station. Diane's mouth fell open. Really? How much time does that give me? How long till a repair crew shows up? Forever. Nothing gets repaired on Grimhex. The company that owns these Habby Cubes collects revenue that's readily collectible, and that's it. No maintenance crews. Shops are locally owned and maintained. But I don't advise overstaying your welcome. Lots of trouble to be had, especially on this strut. A small bit of relief came over Diane's face. She closed her eyes and inhaled. When she opened them, she looked into John's eyes and tentatively reached for his hand. John let her grab his hand and give it a shake. Thank you. I won't be trouble. We'll be out of here as fast as I can. She crossed her right hand over her heart. Trust me, I've learned a scary lesson. Out of here as soon as I'm able. To her, he said, sure thing. Do right and it'll be all right. Remember that, okay? She nodded her head in agreement. How will I go in and out? Going to take you to a friend of mine. Nice woman. Get you a meal and maybe she has... He looked at her blood and dirt-stained clothes. Something you can wear for now. In the meantime, 
I'll get you a key card that accesses this Habicube. With any luck, the bodies will be clear before you come back. Hopefully, an acquaintance of mine is working search and rescue. I'll slip her their names. The corpse retrieval team will clean up the biofluids, too. That's a public health hazard. As for the rest of this mess, you're on your own. John opened his Moby. You know Lara's full name or anything that might help ID her? Lara Billingsley. Think she was a runaway from way back. She mentioned Earth several times. The others? Sorry, no. Hoi Shi was pretty quiet the whole time. Calm compared to me and Lara. She didn't say much. Got the impression this wasn't her first run-in with being detained by the Banu. What about the ship you were on? Need to see if it's still here. Was a rigged up Cutlass Black? Had the name Viper's Den painted on it. I heard them mention holding up in Spider after they collected on us. The horror of the past few events washed over her, raising goose pimples on her flesh. Hugging herself, Diane said, Sorry, that's all I know. It's a start. Come on, let's get you out of here for a while. I'll flag the bodies for emergency pickup to move things along. Maggie looked up from wiping down the bar to see John walking through the door with a bedraggled young woman at his side. She recognized the jacket the woman was wearing as the one she'd seen on John earlier. This looks interesting, she mused to herself. When the pair reached the bar, she said, Didn't expect to see you back here today. Wasn't part of my day's plans either, Mags. This here's Diane. Turning to Diane, he said, This is Mags, the friend I was telling you about. Rated a friend already, Maggie said. I'll take that as a compliment. You are, and it's meant to be one. Maggie smiled. She was instantly charmed again, even though she felt a request for a favor coming. Nice to meet you, Diane. Same, Diane said in a low voice. I need a favor, Mags. Happy to help if I can. John relayed the events that had happened since she'd last seen him. He hoped the retelling of it and the choices he'd made wouldn't offend her. He was glad not to see any condemnation in her expression as she listened. Unbeknownst to John, Maggie would never have reacted that way. She'd been around too long and had seen too much to be shocked by what he'd told her. In fact, she was happily surprised that he'd decided to help Diane and didn't seem in character for him to skirt the law, being a man of specific values and dictums. She was glad he'd bent his rules this time. Maggie showed Diane into the employee restroom to clean up and change into a pair of overalls she kept in her office. She made her a plate of food to eat now and an extra to take with her. She suggested Diane eat and rest a bit in her office while the rest was being worked out. John and Maggie were sitting at the far end of the bar having a drink. You did the right thing, I think, Maggie offered. I can give her a couple of hours a day of work in exchange for food or credits, whichever she prefers. I'll also put out the word with folks that I trust. You're the best, Mags. You're a good guy, John. 
People told me you were, and they were right. You mean a good guy as in violating my contract by falsifying the condition of the Habakkuk? Getting a stranger a key code to live there free? Lying about how I knew the dead girl's name? He shook his head, thinking about what he'd done. Life's not always black and white, John. She interrupted his ready reply. I know, I know. You have your way of doing things. That's all well and good when it's possible. She put her hand on his shoulder and waited until she had his full attention. You are a good man, J.J. In this situation, it was the right thing to do. John smiled and shrugged his shoulders in acquiescence. If you say so, Mags. I do, because even good people paint outside the lines sometimes. The End